Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Hello. Hi. Oh, I was saying hi. Yeah, yeah I was saying hi to you. Yeah, yeah, I was saying hi to them too. Oh, who's them? <laughs> Peyton is drawing while I'm reading out loud. And that's just the way it's going to go right now, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. Hold on, I'm, I'm adjusting and getting comfortable because I thought I was comfortable, and but I wasn't. Okay, book the seventh, The Vile Village, chapter four. The Baudelaire orphans stared at the scrap of paper and then at Hector and then at the scrap of paper again. Then they stared at Hector again and then at the scrap of paper once more. (sighs) And then Hector once more and then at the scrap of piece of paper again and then at Hector once again and then at the scrap of piece of paper one more time. Their mouths were open as if they were about to speak, but the three children could not find the words they wanted to say. The expression, a bolt from the blue, describes something so surprising that it makes your head spin, your legs wobble, and, oh, I forgot that word, okay, and your body buzz with astonishment as if a bolt of lightning suddenly came down from a clear blue sky and struck you at full force, unless you're a light bulb an electrical appliance, or a tree that is tired of standing upright. Encountering a light, uh, uh, encountering a bolt from the blue is not a pleasant experience. And for a few minutes, the Baudelaire stood on the steps of Hector's house and felt the unpleasant sensations of spinning heads, wobbly legs, and buzzing bodies. My goodness, Baudelaire's Hector said, I've never seen anyone look so surprised. Here, come in, come in the house and sit down. You look like a bolt of lightning just hit you at full force. The Baudelaire's followed Hector into his house and down the hallway to the parlor where they sat down on a couch with a word, without a word. Why don't you sit here for a few minutes, said Hector. (sighs) I'm going to fix you up. I'm going to fix you some hot tea. Maybe it's time for you. Maybe it's time. Well, maybe by the time it's ready, you'll be ready to talk. He leaned down and handed the scrap of paper to the violet and gave Sunny a little pat on the head before walking out of the parlor and leaving the children alone. Without speaking, Violet unrolled the paper so that the siblings could read the couplet again. Couplet. I don't know, guys. I don't know what that word is. For sapphires we are held in here, only you can end our fear. It's her, Klaus said, speaking quietly so Hector wouldn't hear him. I'm sure of it. Isadora Quagmire wrote this poem. I think so, too, Violet said. I'm positive that it's her handwriting. Blake, Sonny said, which meant, and the poem is written by Isadora's distinct itinerary style. Oh, literary style. The poem talks about sapphires, Violet said, and the triplets' parents left behind the famous quagmire sapphires when they died. Olaf kidnapped them, kidnapped them to get a hold of those sapphires klaus said and that must be what it means when he says for sapphires we are held in here ping sunny ping sunny asked um i don't know how hector got a hold of this violet replied let's ask him 
Not so fast, Violet said. He took the poem from Violet and looked again. (sighs) Maybe Hector's involved with the kidnapping in some way. Oh, Hector's does not have good initials. Is Hector bad? Okay, you can't answer that. Okay. I I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that, Violet said. Do you really think so? I don't know, Klaus said. He doesn't seem to be like one of Count Olaf's associates, but sometimes we haven't been able to recognize them. Why, Rab, Sonny said thoughtfully, which meant that's true. He seems like we can, tr- he seems like somebody we can trust, Violet said. He was excited to show us the migration of the crows and he wanted to hear all about everything that happened to us. That doesn't sound like a kidnapper, but I suppose there's no way of knowing for sure. Exactly, Klaus said. There's no way of knowing for sure. The tea's all ready, Hector called from the next room. If you're up to it, why don't you join me in the kitchen? You could sit at the table. You could sit at the table while I make enchiladas. The Baudelaire's looked at one another and nodded. Kay, Sunny called out and led her siblings into a large and cozy kitchen. The children took their seats and rounded the wooden table where Hector had placed three streaming mugs of... three steaming mugs of tea and sat quietly while Hector began to prepare dinner. This is true, of course, that there is no way of knowing for sure whether or not you can trust somebody for the simple reason that the circumstances change all of the time. You might know someone for several years, for instance, and trust him completely as your friend, but circumstances could change and he would become very hungry. And before you know it, he could be boiling in a soup pot because there is no way of knowing for sure. I myself fell in love with a wonderful woman who was so charming and intelligent that I trusted that she would be my bride, but there was no way of knowing that for sure. And all too soon, circumstances changed and she ended up marrying someone else, all because of something that she read in the Daily Punctilio. And no one had to tell the Baudelaire orphans that there was no way of knowing for sure, because before they came, before they became orphans, They lived for many years in the care of their parents and trusted their parents to keep on caring for them. But circumstances changed and now their parents were dead and the children were living with a handyman in a town full of crows. But there is no way of knowing for sure there for sure there are often so many ways there are often ways to know for pretty sure and as three siblings watched Hector work in the kitchen they spotted some of those ways. The tune he hummed as he chopped the ingredients, for instance, was a comforting one. And the Baudelaire's could not imagine that person could hum like that if he were a kidnapper. But when he saw the Baudelaire's tea was still too hot to sip, he walked over to the kitchen and blew on each of their mugs to cool it. And it was hard to believe that someone could be hiding two triplets and cooling three children's teas at the same time. And most of the comf- most comforting of all, Hector didn't didn't pester them with lots of questions about why they were su- why they were so surprised and silent. He simply kept quiet and let the Baudelaire's wait until they were ready to speak about the scrap of paper that he had given them. And the children would not ima- could not imagine that that was such a con- that such a considerate person was involved with Count Olaf in any way whatsoever. There was no way of knowing for sure, of course, but the Baudelaire's watched the handyman place the enchiladas over, oh my gosh, in the oven to bake as they felt that they knew for pretty sure, and by this time, he sat down and joined them at the table, and they were ready to tell him about the couplet, 
they read. We have to figure out how to say that word because, hold on. I'm going to figure that out. Couplet. Couplet? I don't even know what that word is. Define couplet. C-O-U-P-L-E-T. Okay, and see how to say it. Couplet. Oh, couplet. Okay. All right, couplet. That's what the tiny little poem's called. This, uh, this poem was written by Isidore Quagmire, Klaus said, without, uh, without a primable, uh, without pre, oh my gosh, I, I need to go back to school. Without, let's look up this word too, preamble. He said without preamble. No, 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 no. All right, well, since we're here, preamble, yes, okay, how do you say that word? Preamble. Oh, preamble. Okay. I've, I've never used that word before in my life. Yowza, my vocabulary is just growing by reading children books. How sad is that? <laughs> Without preamble. A phrase here which means almost as soon as Hector sat down. Wow, Hector said. No wonder you're so surprised. But how can you be so sure? Lots of poets with couplets. Oh, lots of poets write couplets. Ogden Nash, for instance. Ogden Nash doesn't write about sapphires, said Klaus, who has received a biography of Ogden Nash for his seventh birthday. Isadora does. When the quagmire, when the quagmire parents died, they left a big fortune in sapphires. What? That's what she meant by for sapphires we are held in here. Besides, Violet said, it's Isadora's handwriting and distinct literacy style, well, literary style. Well, Hector said, if you say that this poem is by Isidore Quagmire, I believe you. We should call Mr. Poe and tell, tell him, Klaus said. We can't call him, Hector said. There are no telephones on BFD because telephones are mechanical devices. The Council of the Elders can send a message to him. I am too skittish to ask them, but you can if you wish. Before we talk to the Council, we should know a bit more about the couplet, Violet said. Where did you get a hold of this scrap of paper? Oh, I found it today, Hector said, beneath the branches of the Nevermore tree. I woke up this morning and I was just leaving to walk downtown to the morning to do the morning chores when I noticed something something white among the black feathers of the crow that the crows had left behind. It was a, it was this scrap of paper all rolled up in a little scroll. I didn't understand I didn't understand what was written on it, and I needed to get the chores done, so I just put it in my pocket of my overalls, and I didn't think of it again until just now, when we were just talking about couplets. It's certainly very mysterious. How in the world did one of Isidore's poems end up in my backyard? Do you know the answer to that, Peyton? <gasps> she knows... She's so good. She's so... You're so smart. Well, poems don't get up and walk by themselves... By themselves, Violet said. Isadora must have put it here. She must have bit. She must be someplace nearby. Hector shook his head. I don't think so, he said. You saw for yourself how flat it is around here, and you can see everything for miles. Miles around, and the only thing here on the outskirts of town is the barn and the Nevermore tree. Yeah, but remember, he, like, created underground tunnels so he could they could be underground. You're welcome to search the house. You're welcome to search the house, but you're not going to find Isadora Quagmire or anything else, as I always keep the barn locked because I don't want the council elders to find out that I'm breaking the rules. Well, maybe she's in the tree, Klaus said. It's certainly big enough that Olaf could hide hide in her branches. 
That's true, Violet said. Last time Olaf was keeping them keeping them far below us. Maybe this time they're far above us. She shuddered, thinking about how unpleasant it would be to find yourself trapped in the Nevermore tree, Nevermore tree's enormous browns, branches. And she pushed her chair back from the table and stood up. There's only one thing to do, she said. We're going to have to go up and look for them. You're right, Klaus said, and stood up beside her. Let's go. <gasps> Gerhet, Sunny agreed. Hold on a minute, Hector said. We can't just go climbing up Nevermore tree. Why not, Violet said. We've climbed up a tower and down an elevator shaft. Climbing a tree should be no problem. Well, I'm sure you three children are fine climbers, Hector said, but that's not what I mean. He stood up and walked over to the kitchen window. Take a look outside, he said. The sun has completely set. It's not light enough to see a friend of yours up in Nevermore tree. Besides, the tree's covered in roosting birds. You'll never be able to climb through all of those crows. It'll be a wild goose chase. The Baudelaire's looked out the window and saw that Hector was right. The tree has an... Wait, the tree... Wait a minute. The tree was merely an enormous shadow, blurry around the edges where the birds were roosting. The children knew that a climb in such darkness would indeed be a wild goose chase. A phrase here which means unlikely to reveal the quagmire's triplets, the quagmire triplets location. Klaus and Sunny looked at their sister, hoping that she could invent a solution, and were relieved to hear that she had thought of something before she could even tie her hair back in a ribbon. Well, <coughs> we could climb climb with a flashlight, Violet said. If you have some tinfoil and an old broom handle and three rubber bands, I could make a flashlight in, for my, myself in ten minutes. Hector shook his head. Flashlights would disturb the crows, he said. If someone woke up in the middle of the night and shone a light in your face, you would be very annoyed, and you wouldn't want to be surrounded by thousands of annoyed crows. It's better to just wait until the morning when the crows have upgraded uptown, migrated uptown. We can't wait until morning, Klaus said. We can't wait another second. <coughs> the last time we found them, we left them alone for a few minutes, and then they were gone. All of, all a move, Sunny shrieked, which meant Olaf could not move them. Any Olaf could move them at any time. Well, we can't move them now, Hector pointed out. Oh, he can't move them now, Hector pointed out. It would just be as difficult for him to climb the tree. Okay, well, we have to do something, Violet insisted. This poem isn't just a couplet. It's a cry for help. Isadora herself says, only you can end our fear. Our friends are frightened, and it's up to us to rescue them. Hector took some even oven mitts out of the, his pocket of his overalls and used them to take out the enchiladas out of the oven. I'll tell you what, he said. It's a nice evening, and our chicken enchiladas are done. We can sit out on the porch and eat our dinner and keep an eye on the Nevermore tree. There is a flat. The area is so flat that even at night you can see for quite a distance. And if Count Olaf approaches, or anybody else for that matter, we'll see them coming. But Count Olaf might perform his treachery after dinner. Klaus said, and the only way to make sure that nobody approaches the tree is to watch the tree all night. We could take turns sleeping, Violet said, so that one of us is always awake to keep watch. Hector started to shake his head, but they stopped and looked at but he stopped and looked at the children. Normally, I didn't approve of children staying up late, he said finally, unless they are reading a very 
good book, seeing a wonderful movie, or attending a dinner party with a fascinating guest. But this time, I suppose, we can make an exception. I'll probably fall asleep, but you three can keep watch all night if you wish. Just please don't climb the Nevermore tree in the dark. I understand how frustrated you are, and I know that this is the only thing that... that I know that the only thing we can do is wait till the morning. Was that your water bottle? I think that was your water bottle, yeah. I fell. The Baudelaire's looked at one another and sighed. They were so anxious about the quagmires that they wanted to run right out and climb Nevermore Tree, but they knew in their hearts Hector was right. I guess you're right, Hector, Violet said. We can wait until the morning. It's, only one, it's the only thing we can do, Klaus agreed. Contraire, Sunny said, and held up her arm so that Klaus could pick her up. She meant something along the lines of, I can think of something else we can do. Hold me up to the window latch. And so her brother did. Sunny's tiny fingers undid the latch of the window and pushed it open, letting in the cool evening air and the muttering sounds of the crows. Then she leaned forward as far as she could, stuck her hat out into the night. Bark! She cried as loudly as she could. Bark! There are so many expressions to describe someone who is going about something in the wrong way. Making a mistake is a way to describe the situation. Oh, I don't know if this is a bad word for some people. Screwing up. Is that a bad word to some people? Kinda. Screwing up is another, but also a bit rude, and attempting to rescue Lemony Snicket by writing letters to a congressman instead of digging an escape tunnel is a third way, although it's a bit too specific. But Sunny is calling out Bark brings to mind the expression that, sadly enough, describes the situation perfectly. By bark, Sunny meant, if you're up there, quagmires, just hang on and we'll get you out first thing in the morning. And I'm sorry to say that this expression as best describes her circumstances is barking up the wrong tree. It was kind of a gesture of Sunny's to try and reassure Isadora and Duncan that the Baudelaire's would help them escape Count Olaf's clutches. But the youngest Baudelaire was going about it the wrong way. Bark, she cried one more time as Hector began to dish up the chicken enchiladas and led the Baudelaire's in front of the porch so that they could eat, eat at the picnic table and keep an eye on the Nevermore tree. But Sunny was making a mistake. The Baudelaire's did not realize that the mistake as they finished their dinner and kept their eye on the immense muttering tree. They did not realize that the mistake that they sat on the porch for the rest of the night taking turns squinting at the flat horizons for any sign of somebody approaching, dozing besides Hector and the picnic table as a pillow. But when the sun began to rise and one VFD crow never left Nevermore Tree and began to fly the circle, and three more crows followed, and then seven more, and then twelve more, and soon the morning sky was filled with the sound of fluttering wings as thousands of crows circled and circled above the children's heads as they rose above the wooden chairs and walked quickly towards the tree to look for any signs of the quagmires. But the Baudelaire saw once how they had made, deeply made a mistake. Without the murder of crows roosting in the branches, Nevermore Tree looked as bare as a skeleton. There was not a single leaf left among the hundreds and hundreds of tree branches. Standing there and its scraggly roots looking up to the empty branches, the Baudelaire's could see every last detail of Nevermore Tree, and they could see at once that they would not find Duncan and Isidore Quagmire, no matter how far they climbed. It was an enormous tree, and it was a very sturdy tree, and it was apparently a very comfortable tree to roost in, but it was the wrong tree. Klaus had been barking up the wrong tree when he said that their 
kidnapped friends were probably up there, and Violet had been barking up the wrong tree when she said that she should climb up and look for them, and Sunny had been barking up the wrong tree when she said bark. The Baudelaire orphans had been barking up the wrong tree all evening because the one thing that the children found that morning was another scrap of paper rolled into a scroll among the black feathers in the crow <gasps> that the crows left behind. They found another scroll? Oh my gosh. Are the birds bringing the messages? Peyton? Are the birds? Okay, she can't tell me, so I think that's a yes. Yes. <laughs>